0: Game on on UFM with Green Farm. Fuel your day with Green
1: Farm's new high protein cooked chicken breast fillet. 100% natural and packed with flavor.
2: Thanks to Jenny Green, it's John Kenny Ruby Walsh. This is Game On. It's Tuesday the 14th of December. Coming up today, the hunt for monsters' head coach begins as Van Graan confirms his end-of-season exit.
0: To know the players, the likes of, of Gavin Coombs and Fennin Wichely, you, you didn't know these guys. Well, I didn't know them when I arrived at Munster. I'm working with them and progressively trying to improve them. I think we also changed our mindset in, in the academy for no longer getting guys to only want to play for Munster, but we want guys to want to play for Ireland. And
2: we're live to the Etihad ahead of Manchester City versus Leeds in the Premier League. Plus, Mark Langdon's with us as our Teta stands
3: down his Arsenal captain. Is um, a decision that we have made following the incident, uh, the last incident that we have <clears throat> with the player and um, this is where we stand
1: How many incidents have there been if you don't
3: mind me asking? I don't mind you asking but uh, I cannot go any further than that And in swimming John catches up at Mona McSherry
4: ahead of our next appearance on the world stage If you want to get in touch you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM
2: Game on, on 2FM oh, Ruby's actually sitting in front of me and uh, it's a nice uh, jumper you have know? Racing TV Christmas top Very nice Where'd you get that? Why can't I get one of those?
4: I got it for free, John, but actually going to see the man in the red suit and we're finished on air, so my children were putting on Christmas jumpers and my, uh, my actually not, not even my eldest, my second eldest has robbed my Christmas jumper, that's how tall she's getting, and this was the only one I was left with, so um, the
2: freebie I got from racing TV is going to get an outing. Very nice, it's a pity we can't see it, well I can see it, but you can't. Um, I'd say you're lucky you can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we mentioned at the top, we'll be talking to Murray Kinsler from the 42, quite a lot of rugby stories today, including Van Grand's exit which the Big one, uh, Mark Langdon on the Premier League. COVID Abou Mayang uh, stripped of the armband of uh, captaincy. Doesn't seem to be any indication there, Ruby, about actually what happened. It's just a breach of discipline.
4: That's what it sounds like. Um, but it sounded like Mikel Arteta wasn't for wasn't for turning on it in the clip we just played, John. Oh. And um, yeah, I suppose captains are supposed to lead in every way, make shape and form. So um, yeah, he's
2: lost that. Yeah, I did an interview with Mona McSherry, head of the World Short Course Championships. They're in Abu Dhabi. We'll hear from her a little bit later on. Peter Smith's at the Etihad for Manchester City versus Leeds. You uh, Just to start it off uh, tonight, Ruby, you, you made comments about uh, Bryony Frost and the bullying case between herself and, and um, Richard Dunn. Uh, she's actually done an interview today, or Robbie Dunn, I should say. She's done an interview today with the Sun newspaper saying that when she won the TSC's Chase at Sandown, um, she found that there was a lot of support for her out there. Out there, did you? Uh, did you read the article?
4: I did. I read it this morning. Um, John in the in the Sun actually, Marie Cross sent it to me good and early, so she did. Um, but yeah, it was after she won the Tingle Creek in Sandown, and you could see that. I wasn't working that day in Sandown, but um, you could feel the support from the from the racing public for Bryony Frost and, and rightly so. But yeah, look, this was the first time Bryony had has spoken since the judgment was given against Robbie Dunn last Thursday um, and she spoke about a lot of things and she had a particular go at, at the PJA John uh, the Professional Jockeys Association and yeah. I, I think a lot of what she said there's a lot of merit in it um, you know they are the jockey's voice they're, to, they're there to help all members that's one quote from the statement and they were meant to be neutral they weren't meant to pick sides and they are that—that that is what they're meant to do but ultimately it did look like Robbie Dunn had the back end of the p j a and Briany e. Frost was with the b h a so um it shouldn't have been that way that they are there for both sides, so I think not alone will there have to be change changes within the culture of the wear room. It looks like there will have to be changes within the p j a as well and how they conduct themselves going forward. It looks like there's A hell of a lot of lessons to be learned here.
2: Yeah, it's not that Bryony felt she was bullied. She was bullied, and that's the conclusion. Yeah, she was.
4: And look, I've asked the question as to why the PJA used that particular wording, and their argument was that Robbie Dunne has the right to appeal until uh, some seven days after the independent panel hands down its full written verdict. Now, we've no idea when the independent panel will hand down its full written verdict, and Robbie has seven days then to appeal from there. Um, But you'd imagine saying we can't comment would have been better than probably giving the comment that they gave not probably than giving the comment that they gave
2: there's one word which uh, I I think annoyed you uh, Louis West on the QC who represented the BHA called the weighing room culture rancid Um, did that take away from that case using that particular word no it it
4: didn't and to be fair to be fair I suppose best way of putting it to Louis West he did phrased that completely differently. Rancid was in his statement but he, when you read the whole statement it was if was the beginning of the statement mm-hmm. Was the and Rancid came along three quarters of the way through it. But um, well, it seems like him.
2: everybody jumped on that one word.
4: It, it, it became yeah. the highlight, it became yeah. the headline and like anything people read headlines and don't read full comments True. or full statements and um, I was arguing the toss with Ed Chamberlain uh, more about Louis Weston speaking on behalf of the Jockey Club or the B sorry, that's BHA, wrong take yeah. that back to BHA yeah. um than than anything that to me he was. When he spoke for them, he was representing them like you or I are now talking to two FM and whatever we say is right or wrong, we are representing two FM. So um that was my argument with that. But no, he used the word rancid, but he didn't accuse everyone of being in rancid and my belief is that the the vast majority of jockeys are most certainly not that but he didn't accuse them of it either
2: Alright, this year is obviously or this time of the year is obviously very busy for jockeys uh, gearing up for the meetings at Leopardstown, Kempton, Limerick places like that as well this has obviously been a busy time of the year for you too in the past are you missing it all? Absolutely not um, <laughs> I was in Willie Mullins'
4: this morning and they were getting all the horses ready for Christmas and I didn't look at any one of them and think, God, I'd love to be riding that. Um But look, it is a very busy time and it's a great time. Christmas was always a wonderful time to be a jockey. I think it's a wonderful time to be a sports person full stop. I mean, yeah. you have all the Interpros on Stevens's day, you have great racing, um brilliant matches in the Premier League. It, it is a time of, I suppose, everyone's off work and sports people are the entertainment and, yeah, I did enjoy being part of that entertainment but... I'm glad to be talking about it now, John.
2: Absolutely, time waits for no man. Okay, we're just going to move it on to uh, rugby and a uh, big headline today. Munster confirmed that head coach Johan van Graan to leave at the end of the season. He he replaced Razzi Erasmus. We know that in 2017, he was offered a two-year contract extension but turned it down. The talk about now that he may move to uh, Premiership side Bath uh, in England. Murray Kinsler from the 42 joins us on the line. Good evening to you, Murray. Hi, lads. Tell us about this. Uh, why do you think he's leaving?
0: Yeah, it's more disruption for Munster. As far as I understand, he's got a really good offer from Bath over in the English Premiership, there club, who are looking to rebuild. Um, they've got great resources, they've got um, great facilities. And from what I understand, Johan's head was turned by that. They haven't announced anything officially. Um, but you could see the attraction to that role obviously for Munster it means going and finding another coach after Stephen Arkham, the senior coach recently confirmed that he's going to leave at the end of the season to go back to Australia and then the other two assistant coaches JP Ferreira and Graham Rentry, they're also out of contract or due to be out of contract at the end of the season so we don't know what's going to happen yet with those two so it's certainly a time of disruption for Munster and they have to go back and uh, go into the market again in a number of different positions now
2: do you think Van Grand
0: did a good job? Um, I suppose like it's high expectations in Munster, isn't it? If you're not winning trophies, you're probably not perceived as doing as good a job as you can. Yeah, there's a lot consistent- of
2: semi-finals and final defeats and things, wasn't there? Exactly. Yeah, he pointed yeah. out
0: that they've been consistently in those positions. They've been consistent in being one of those top t- sides. But I suppose in terms of what we've seen on the pitch, we haven't seen a great evolution of their style of play. They have been really hard to beat. They have been really solid and consistent. But I don't think that that's captured the... I suppose, imagination of a lot of the fans. There hasn't been a great outpouring of uh, sadness, I don't think, from Munster fans I've spoken to today. Mm. And from what I understand, the players in the squad, there's not a huge amount of that either. He's a real well liked man. He's an absolute gentleman, as anyone who's met him will, will tell you. And, and I could say the same for myself. He's great to deal with. Um, but yeah, as I say, the ex- expectations in Munster are to win a trophy, and that hasn't happened for a long time.
4: So, Murray, if Munster are looking for a whole new and ticket, where are they likely to turn?
0: Well, there's a lot of ex-Munster players out there in the coaching world now. I think the first person that everyone thinks of is, is Ron O'Gara. And, and indeed, I've got a lot of messages about that. Unfortunately, he only relatively recently signed a new contract as the, the main man in La Rochelle. He's contracted through to 2024 and very happy where he is. Mike Prendergast is another name who's been linked with Munster. He's in Rasting 92 as the attack coach and doing great work. He's also in contract as far as I know, but m- maybe they can get his head turned Paul Collins with Ireland I think he's pretty happy where he is until 2023 but um, other guys like James Cullen are, are out there coaching well uh, and doing well I think there's going to be obviously a process where they you know ask for people to come and apply for this role and you would imagine there's going to be a lot of interest one name I heard is Milton Haig he's a, a Kiwi guy who's coaching in Japan at the moment and you'd imagine there'll be a lot of that kind of interest so at the moment I think they'll, they'll wait and see who is actually interested in coming in and doing this role the, the key man here is actually David Sephora, the IRFU's performance director he's the the guy who actually puts these people in place as uh, head coaches of the provinces and he's done good work in this regard in fairness Andy Friend in Connacht was one of the guys he went and got Dan McFarland in Ulster they worked really hard to get him uh, in and, and he's obviously got contacts all, all across the world so given like the The stadium, the quality of the squad in terms of those international players, as well as the youth that we saw last weekend against Watts on Sunday, I think there'll be a fair bit of interest there. It's just about defining exactly what they want. Maybe they do a director of rugby and a head coach, or do they do a head coach or an attack coach? They've got to kind of define exactly what they want um, as they move forward now.
4: How disruptive do you think it'll be for the next six months from Munster, knowing that Razzie is gone, uh, Larkham is gone? they need to get on the on the road and, and start winning some silverware how hard is that going to be knowing now that the men on top are not going to be with them
0: yeah it is a strange position I think because you're always as a player you're probably always considering this is the guy who makes decisions and when he's not going to be there next season maybe you don't have to work as hard in that relationship but the players themselves are unbelievably motivated and that's a key point here as well you know Johan van Graan will get a lot of criticism that he hasn't won a trophy with Munster but these same players haven't won a trophy with Munster with another new head coach and I suppose you can't always keep pointing the finger at the head coach the players are a massive part of it so I do think there'll be a, a really big focus and collective goal to, to finish this out on a high and like that performance last Sunday and I know it was against a really depleted Wasps team and we got to really say that but it was strange tough circumstances the whole province rallied together unbelievably well and they came out and delivered something really exciting. That felt like a bit of a, a springboard for the province. And even if Johan van Gran and Stephen Larkham aren't going to be part of that longer term, I think it is really important that the province use it as that kind of catalyst that Ian Costello, the academy manager, mentioned afterwards. That's the, the kind of launch of something new with these younger players, hopefully featuring more prominently. That's been another, I suppose, criticism of van Graan over the last couple of years is some of that real talent in Munster hasn't been getting as much exposure and again he'd defend himself and say that the, the senior players have, have done good jobs and they also are deserving their spots but I think everyone now wants to see the next appointment being a, a coach who really backs that youth who probably plays a little bit more of an exciting attacking style of rugby and that that's the direction Munster move in
2: Yeah, in terms then uh, of uh, Munster uh, beating Wasp last weekend there, obviously we heard and it was well publicised about the COVID cases when they were in South Africa Leinster now are getting COVID cases ahead of their match against Montpellier this coming Friday three senior players staff we don't know who they are at the moment tested positive last week and uh, they're saying they're assisting an additional number of senior players who tested positive for COVID-19 how bad is it in the Leinster camp do you think?
0: Yeah, more cases today. We're not sure exactly on the the number of them, but uh, certainly a few more players, and and it's more than a handful. They do have a massive squad in terms of the quality, and something can we often talk about with Leinster. So even if they were left with an academy team similar to Munster or an academy influence, they'd be okay with it. The issue here is also that Montpellier themselves have COVID outbreak in yeah. their squad. Yeah. They're up to five now, I think, in, in their setup. They're doing further testing tomorrow. And Leinster obviously have to do further testing as well. They did train today, Leinster, and, and they're preparing as if the game is going ahead, certainly. But obviously it's a con- concern at this stage, given both both squads are affected by it. Um, there's no room in the calendar for these European games to be rescheduled, unfortunately. I do think both sides will be doing their utmost to get the game played, because you don't want to hand that 28-0 walkover to the opposition. Montpellier also have a big squad as well, so if some fingers crossed, both of them can... Would you get be confident of the, of the game effort. would go ahead as planned, yeah? Uh, I'd have major doubts at the moment, to be honest, really? given the international yeah? element of it. Yeah. That, that's, okay. not, uh, that's not from EPC or from Leinster and Montpellier themselves. I just would have worries about it myself now.
4: But Murray, you're looking at that. In the event of a cancellation, the outcome was a 28-0 walkover in favour of the team deemed not responsible for the outbreak. How do you deem that with these yeah, two yeah, teams true, yeah, and both of exactly.
0: yeah. us? <laughs> That's exactly it That's exactly it uh, And even sure would have to assess That they'd have A, a committee to, to kind of Try and figure that out And, and they'd have A, a meeting overlap. But I think both sides Are again They're really doing Their best to show That they're preparing For this game That they're willing To go and play And certainly That's the, the statement From both of them they're, they're going to keep Working away To try and play On Friday night
4: Pair what? of boots might come in handy Is this as this day's John yeah, Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> Anyone could get a game. See, Munster but, also, sorry John, yeah, Munster no, go ahead, also had go ahead, some bad ahead, news yeah. as well, Murray. Obviously, Joey Carberry, looks like he's heading for yeah. a, an, an, an operation on his elbow. I mean, I
0: feel so sorry for him. Every time I just think Every time he, time he gets out
2: of bed, head. he gets injured, poor
0: lad. Yeah, it's really gutting, isn't it? And I think everyone's feeling that for him. He was obviously out for 14 months there at one stage and got back earlier on this year. He started to kind of get a bit of momentum recently. He was obviously in the Ireland camp over November and, and contributed towards a really positive month. And then he gets, yeah, just a kind of borderline, almost late tackle there in the second half. You know, and the game is already pretty much decided and he fractures his elbow. He's going for surgery on Thursday. Looks like around could be nearly up to three months even out uh, with this. And it's just really frustrating for a guys. He's 26 now and he's missed a lot of rugby in his career and, and you just hope that he can get this one uh, sorted as quick as possible. Munster do have some other really exciting talents at out half and that's the big thing. They obviously let JJ Hanrahan go last summer. He's over in Clermont now but they have Ben Healy and Jack Crowley and Jake Flannery. Three really exciting tens. So, we, again, don't know the situation with the guys who've returned from South Africa, who's available this weekend, but hopefully we can see one of those young lads really stepping
2: up now. You can be so unlucky, can't you? If you look at Johnny Sexton, the amount of hits he's had over the years, both Leinster and Ireland as well, and uh, relatively, I would say relatively injury-free, and there's poor old Joey, it's, as I said, it seems every time he got out of bed he gets injured, and its it must be very tough for a man who's 26 years of age now, at the height of his career, to have yet another injury problem.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and they're and like some of them have been these kind of really unfortunate impact injuries he broke his arm at one stage now it's this elbow it's not like he you know mismanaged his body or anything like that's just literally really bad misfortune um, and it's been tough for him mentally 100% he, he's spoken about that and getting back to playing Roby even has been really tough for him when you're out for so long you, you miss that rhythm especially as an out half where you're making so many decisions all the time so yeah he'll need a bit of support certainly to, to get through but he is a durable young man he's got plenty of talent he's only 26 so, so let's hopefully see him back soon
4: Bit of better news for Connacht looks like they'll have Bundy back at the weekend but Mac Hanson they're not so confident of having him playing
0: No it's a pity because I think everyone's been enjoying watching Mac Hanson and even listening to him in the post-match interview he's, he's great value he's been a brilliant addition for them but Bundy like he had so much energy And they've had In fairness Lots of people Stepping up In his absence That's in one of the teams Of Connacht Even last weekend In their big win over Stadford And say Showing that they have depth building in their squad That people are, are fighting for spots That maybe wasn't the case In a realistic way in, in recent seasons So It'd be brilliant to have him back For what is a really Tough task Going away to Leicester Leicester have been Outstanding this season and they won over in Bordeaux last weekend a really impressive victory so Connacht are going to need the likes of bondiaki delivering their very best
4: There are two teams that play a completely contrasting style of rugby I mean yeah. Connacht had developed this really fast game whereas the Tigers play a kicking game and they dominate in the set piece that'll be a big challenge for, for both I think
0: it is a real clash of styles. It's going to be a fascinating one. And Connick will absolutely have to do some of that stuff you mentioned that Leicester Tigers do well. They'll have to, to match up with that and marry it with their, their own philosophy. But they are definitely not going away from that. They've spoken confidently about how they can challenge and stretch teams with their, their tempo and their skill set and their ability to have so many different options for Jack Hardy to pick from. And he's invariably picking the right one these days. They weren't completely perfect by any means last weekend, but they showed... Lots of kind of, um, I suppose, aggression in finishing the game out on top, over the top of Stade Francais as well, which was a, a positive sign. It is definitely a huge ask this weekend, but Onyx have shown they can shock in, in Europe before. In terms of the interprovincials that are coming up over
2: Christmas as well, I just want to refer back to the COVID cases as well. If this mm. keeps mounting up um, for the likes of Munster and Leinster, is the Interprovincial Series over the uh, Christmas period in danger then, do you think? Or do, as you mentioned, uh, Murray, do they have enough of a squad in depth to actually get through these games without cancelling them?
0: Yeah, that seems to be the, the way it's gone in Roby more recently is that you just dig into your squad and you go ahead and try and play as much as you, you can. If you think back to this time last year, with the Munster Lencer game that was actually um, called off on, on Stephen's on Steven Day, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah where they they just felt it wasn't, you know, there was too much risk, there was too much unknown. Whereas now, if there's people who haven't tested positive, then they they feel they can kind of push ahead with it. So I think we'll see that happen. It is a pity around the European games in particular that it's really affecting the, you know, the level of competition or some teams are are disjointed and and you don't get those top-level, full-strength contests you would have expected. I think with the Interpros, yeah, we'll be doing our absolute utmost to to blast on with with who's available. poor well, uh, as <laughs> you can hear there is
2: coughing in the background uh, needs to get a drink uh, before we go um, uh, what are you relishing over the weekend and, and what kind of games are you looking at um, Murray
0: yeah I'm looking forward to seeing how Munster back up what happened over in Was. they've got cast at home in Limerick in Tone Park on Saturday we're not sure exactly who's going to come out from that self isolation and, and be available you imagine there's a lot of players there Really desperate for a game, but not, some of them not having played for what two months now at this stage. That'd be fascinating if Lentz's game does go ahead. I think that's a, a really different challenge for them. Obviously, they played Bath last weekend and it was a bit of a, a, a stroll in the park, really. Ulster then will be looking just to you know back up their really impressive performance away to Clermont. I actually thought it was probably almost the, the pick of the bunch. They, they managed to. Uh, get ahead and they went behind and, and showed some grit to, to pull through with a win so they're um, they're playing Northampton this weekend at home and, and they'll be really keen to, to back it up as well so another really great weekend ahead and, and the Irish provinces will be looking for hopefully another clean sweep Alright Ruby's
2: uh, back with us and uh, we will take a break Thanks for uh, joining us Murray Kinsler there from the42.ie Here is UFF. Game on on the UFM with Greenfern Have
1: your dinner
0: ready in a flash with Green Farms high protein cooked chicken breast fillet available in selected stores nationwide. Two.
2: Game on football.
4: Welcome back to Game On, there obviously are two games in the Premier League tonight where Norwich City play Aston Villa at 7.45 and Man City play Leeds at 8 o'clock but Mark Langdon joins us on the line, Mark, where the headlines in the Premier League this afternoon are all to do with COVID, a record 42 positive cases over the previous seven days have been recorded and all Premier League players and staff are going to have to take a lateral flow test every day to go to work.
5: Yeah, absolutely, um, Ruby. And um, yeah, in, in terms of those lateral flow tests, they want them to be done outside of the um, training complex, which you know means doing them in the car be- before you uh, um, sort of enter the, the you know the the, the building. Um, it's a uh, I think a, a very dangerous um, sort of time really for. Um, you know the UK at the moment as a whole but you know particularly just in terms of you know keeping it to sport just because um, we've already seen Tottenham lose matches where Manchester United of course were supposed to be playing Brentford um, it, it, it feels like you know we, we've got a really busy schedule coming up of matches every couple of days um, there, there isn't a Great sort of amount of room to sort of mess around with with, with the calendar because of that, but um, yeah, it wouldn't be a big surprise. What really, I don't think if there were more games called off you know between now and, and sort of you know I'd say the the end of the winter it is a a very tricky period I I think for for all all of the um you know the, the teams involved not just in the Premier League I mean we had a game in Portugal recently where Belenenses had to play Benfica with nine players and two of those were goalkeepers and um you know I don't think we'll ever get to that kind of silly situation in England but um you know I, I it wouldn't be a surprise if more games were called off I'd say it looks pretty Ominous when you look at, at the figures.
4: I mean, 16 was the most in a season, or a week, sorry. That was back in August between the 16th and the 22nd. Now you're at 42 in the last seven days. Cancellations look ominous, don't they?
5: They, they do, yeah. I think, um, you know, when when the Premier League and, and sort of English football first came back, the country was in sort of state of lockdown, really. And um, I think it was probably easier in some respects to keep... teams in their bubbles because outside of uh, playing football, you know, there was nothing else to do. Nobody was going out. Kids weren't going to school. Partners weren't going to work or, you know, um, shopping or, or or whatever it was. So, um, it, I think it was, it was a lot easier in in many respects, you know, like I say, to just keep um, people within their, their bubbles. I think there has been a, a more relaxed attitude um, in, in terms of, of everything really, you know, they were having to travel. I remember Crystal Palace played Liverpool in a game and travelled up in, in, um sort of a load of 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 very sort of small mini buses, and yeah, they were then. I think they got beat four-nil at Anfield on that that occasion. But of course, we have moved back to sort of uh, you know travelling normally, if you like, sort of on one coach. They were um, sort of in terms of gym usage, it was even teams were kept. You know, maybe all the defenders were together in one bubble, and they would go and use the gym at one time, and then another group of players would go in and use the gym. Uh, Obviously, that's not how it's been in recent times but you do wonder whether um to keep the show on the road and they will want to do that at all costs um you know you might get back to those very um sort of strict bubbles that did seem to work in 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 some respects at least
2: but anecdotally we're hearing that there is quite a number of premier division players who are not vaccinated and that's adding to the problem isn't it
5: yeah, yeah, I think it is um, for sure. Um, you know, and it's not just in, in the Premier League. I mean, one of the most high-profile players, Joshua Kimmich of of Bayern Munich, he um, he was somebody that wasn't vaccinated. He has now said that he will get vaccinated, but he's miss he's missing at the moment and won't play again. Um, for the for the rest of this year he will return in january um yeah he said he wanted to do his own research into um the vaccination wouldn't um, get jabbed until he he was satisfied with that and um, he then sort of ended up with um you know Quite a bad um, dose of it, so um, he, he's not only missed games because of that, but also because um, he was in close contact with other people who had, who had had it. So because he hadn't been jabbed, he he was sort of forced into isolation. That that happened to a few um, sort of Germany and, and Bayern Munich players. So um, it's not just confined to the Premier League. I know that sort of you know managers are beginning to speak out. Stephen Gerrard this week mentioned that um, you know Aston Villa could check the vaccination status of of transfer targets. David Moyes um, was urging everyone to get the jab. He was talking about supporters but presumably if he's talking about supporters he also means his own team as well. Um, It doesn't of course mean that you will um, sort of avoid getting um, the coronavirus but um, it certainly helps. I think um, you know Tottenham have obviously had sort of big issues with, with a few games called off in, in a number of different competitions. Um, I think most of those players were double jabbed. Uh, the, um, they haven't named the players, um, but it's sort of been reported the names, and most of those are um, said to be double jabbed. So it, it it doesn't mean that you, you're not going to have matches um, ruled out, but. Um, you know, I think every little helps at the moment.
2: Yeah, the one thing that does surprise me, uh, having talked to people up and down the years in terms of this uh, being vaccinated, not just for COVID, but for other diseases. If they go to a, a, a country like, say, I don't know, Brazil, World Cup, they would have had to be vaccinated for different things and nobody complained about that. All of a sudden, they're complaining about the COVID vaccine and we need to do our own research and all that kind of stuff. And we just got a text from George here saying, overpaid players who refuse to be vaccinated are now messing with their clubs. Are they in breach of contract? So, you know,
5: does that... Yeah, well, they're they're not in breach of contract because um, it's not... In sort of the older contracts... It's probably not in them. Um, I, I would, uh, and as Stephen Gerrard alluded to um, in his press conference this week, I don't think it will be a big surprise if going forward um, any new contract does involve um, you know, some kind of um, control over vaccination. Yeah? Um, but for a lot of players at the moment, I don't think it's actually in, in the contract.
4: So, so far this mark, this season mark, Brighton, Chelsea and Tottenham have been conducting mandatory COVID pass checks on their fans. But as of tonight, or tomorrow night, sorry, it'll be mandatory for all fans to show proof of double vaccination or a negative test to attend in a sporting event with more than 10,000 people.
2: How how are they going to do that for (laughs) 50,000?
4: That's (laughs) what I mean. How policeable is that?
5: No, I mean I've I've been I you know, I am I am a Tottenham supporter. I've been to a number of games um, this season, and nobody has um somehow you know no, nobody's been near uh, my phone for uh, proof of vaccination or um, any kind of um, you know sort of lateral flow test. Um, I've got friends that support Tottenham, um, and none of them have been asked for it either. So um, I'm not sure how mandatory that those checks are. I think it is almost unpoliceable um, for fifty, sixty thousand, 60,000, you would have to arrive. I don't know how early you would have to arrive. Imagine it's a night game. I mean, most people get to a night game, you know, probably 15, 20 minutes before kick-off due to work and, and, and other commitments. There's no way you could check all of those statuses before um you, you, you got inside the stadium. Um it's absolutely impossible. I know they were supposed to be doing it for the Euros. Um I can only speak about the games at Wembley where um again you know from from personal experience and speaking to those um you know that that went as fans, you know, it just wasn't it wasn't policed um in, in any kind of, of serious way. Um and I, I think it would be impossible to do and um you know I, I think that they I think it's probably, you know, I understand where they're coming from and, um, you know, maybe their heart's in the right place with it, but you can't do it. It's just absolutely impossible with the technology that's currently available. Maybe in future you might be able to do something, but at the moment the idea of a steward checking a mobile phone of of 50,000 people just um, feels impossible.
2: Mikel Arteta is in the headlines again. The Arsenal manager stripping Abba Mayang of the captain's armband. This is what he had to say today at the presser.
3: Is um, a decision that we have made following the incident, uh, the last incident that we have <clears throat> with the player. And um, this is where we stand. How many
1: incidents have there been, if you don't mind me asking?
3: I don't mind you asking, but uh, I cannot go any further than that. Um, as you can believe, um, when we have to make that decision... Obviously, it's um, because it's the the right one to to defend the interests of the football club.
1: How did Orbe take it? D- did you break the news to him
3: yourself? Yes, um, we did it. Both the club um, having a personal conversation and my face uh, and myself face to face with the player.
4: And how did Diarra abamian take it?
3: He had to accept the decision. And the story. Um,
2: the story is, uh, Mark Langdon, uh, a late return from a trip abroad, but apparently it's not the first case uh, or first disciplinary uh, measure which Arteta had to take against Abba Mayang. Uh,
5: no, timekeeping was never Aubameyang's uh, strong point when he was at Borussia Dortmund, um, and it, it appears that um, that stretched over in, into his time in North London. Um, clearly, according to Arteta, you know, um, you, re- well, you can read between the lines there that it's not the first time that Aubameyang has um, been late, you know, he was dropped for a, a North London derby for, for timekeeping, if I remember rightly uh, as well, um, you know, it's reported that he, he went back home um, to see um, his family and then, um, you know, arrived back a day later than he was supposed to which in itself uh, was was bad news for Arsenal it was then compromised by um, you know the, the complications then over when he was allowed to return to training uh, because of COVID protocols I think it's a big call from Arteta one that he, he probably had to make if it's not the first time that sort of club discipline uh, has been stretched or abused um, by the captain what you would say though is that you know, Bamian feels pretty popular within the dressing room. I don't think it's universally gone down well with supporters. Um, and you, you, the only way that you kind of win these battles is if you win football matches. You know, so if if, if he starts losing, mm. you know, there will be calls for him to go and a to you know to, to be reinstated. I think it's very difficult to to win back the player when you drop them as captain um, yeah, he's already a Bamiyang today been linked with moves abroad Arsenal of course gave him a huge contract maybe not learning the mistakes with what happened with Mesut Ozil um, and Alexis Sanchez and it feels like they're almost history is almost repeating itself and you know, for all that Arsenal have done a lot of good work in in kind of really lowering the age of their team got the youngest team in the Premier League this season the highest earner um, is a Bamiyang and to get him out of the club and then to try and bring in a new striker is going to be a, probably a very expensive process. But uh, I would say it's difficult now to see where he fits in back into that Arsenal team. You know, once you've been stripped of the captaincy, um, it's a pretty big call from Arteta. Timekeeping might be Obama
4: Yang's issue, but looks like time is up for Sergio Aguero, Mark
5: yeah so um tomorrow he's expected to announce his retirement um from the game manchester city's greatest ever goal scorer you know the scorer of one of The most iconic goals in Premier League history when he he won the Premier League for them against QPR, somebody that has been absolute lethal finisher, um, first for Atletico Madrid, um, also for Manchester City and Argentina. Unfortunately, he never really got to show it um, for Barcelona. And um, you know, he'd suffered with different injuries um, now, but you know, he 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 sort of went down with what looked to be a very serious chest. Um complain not that long ago, and that there were concerns for him sort of on that day right immediately as as to sort of you know his future he managed to um you know at, at least safely get to hospital um it It sounds like he's going to um announce his retirement tomorrow um a wonderful player, brilliant finisher, somebody that that came through Argentina. Sort of under twenties with Lionel Messi, they're they they're very close friends. It's one of the reasons why he went to Barcelona, and then Messi departed very shortly afterwards. So didn't really get to get that sort of international connection going at club level, yeah. which is a bit of a shame. But he, a he, shame, you know, yeah. he'll be missed. Great he'll be striker,
2: missed. all right. Uh, be uh, quitting at the age of just thirty-three. Listen, Mark Langdon, thanks for uh, joining us on the line. After the break, we're going to hear from Irish Olympic swimmer Mona McSharry. <laughs>
0: Game on on 2FM with Green Farms. Fuel your day the healthy way with Green Farms on the go chicken bites. 100% natural and packed with protein. Available in selected Tesco's nationwide.
2: Game on on 2FM. Uh, Mola, obviously um, making history earlier on this year by making an Olympic final. Have you had time to sit back and think about what you did this summer?
1: Um, Honestly, not a lot of time. I had a pretty quick turnaround after coming back from the Olympics. I had four days and then I was back to college. Um, But honestly, I think that was nicer for me because it got me back to reality and just, you know, back into hard work. And I guess, you know, it happened and it it was amazing, but it's nice to just keep going and moving forward. And that's kind of what, what I tried to do. But I think coming back here now and, you know, getting to, meet the old swim club and I chatted to some of the kids last night that was obviously lovely and it's it's really nice to see kind of how they idolize me and um, the fact that I have such an influence on that generation is it, it means a lot to me
2: yeah but your performances in Tokyo were exceptional coming through eight semifinals into a final what was your thoughts I mean I know we did talk to you after the swim but now that you have a time to reflect on it what's, what are your thoughts about it
1: Um, I'm very happy with it. I think I swam exceptionally well and moved through the rounds really well and I couldn't have asked of anything else of myself, even trying to look back and see, you know, where I can improve on. And there is definitely places I can improve on. There always will be. But um, I'm really happy with how I performed and honestly went above and beyond what I thought was achievable within that olympics um, and it just makes me really excited for the next upcoming olympics and the next couple of years of competing
2: yeah and obviously at an underage level you are a world champion but you've got european medals as well you, you now are obviously thinking to yourself look i belong in this elite is that is that your thinking
1: yeah definitely you know i'm i'm starting to see that i'm working my way up to being, I guess, competitive at that top level again. And yeah, it was a really big jump for me to go from junior worlds and then be all of a sudden surrounded by so many seniors and, you know, so many amazing athletes. Um, And I think making that transition was hard, but kind of building on it and building on all my experiences and being able to, yeah, make it to a final and compete and stand with all those great women from all over the world is is really nice and it does kind of tell me yeah that I do belong and I can I can work and be there
2: you chose not to and one or two other servers have done the same including Ellen Walsh who's there with you in Tennessee not to uh, stay in Ireland and uh, join up with a high performance uh, in either Dublin or Limerick um, and you've moved basically from your Maryland's club to Tennessee what was the thinking behind that
1: um, I think that they offer the best setup with college and um, swimming life. I think it they, they manage it really well. Of course, I've never experienced college here in Ireland, but looking from the outside, um, it definitely looked like they had a really good setup. Everything is on campus. I have everything I could ever need uh, within a f- five minute drive for me, which, which is really beneficial. Um, when you have limited time as an athlete and you're doing so much to have everything in such close proximity. And then I also, I wanted to get my degree while I was swimming and, and do it the easiest way possible with still having a lot of focus on my swimming career. Cause that is the main focus at the moment, but not once I retire, have nothing else to, to lean back on. Um, and I think that the collegiate system is something that any athlete that gets the opportunity to try out should really go for it because it's honestly, it's unbelievable. It's something I've never experienced to this date. Um, and I just, I really enjoy racing with the team and kind of swimming more for winning, winning and not necessarily the times. Um, and I think that's really enjoyable and it's helped me kind of take a step back and improve my international racing too.
2: Yeah, how what are you studying, and how do you combine your swimming and your studies?
1: Uh, I'm studying kinesiology, and I I just try and get a good balance. I think I kind of look at it that swimming is my break from college studies, and studies is my break from swimming. Um, and you know, I don't really have a lot of extra time for anything else, so I think that's the best way to look at it. Rather than two chores, um, they're two benefits that are helping each other. Uh, um, and that's kind of how I work it, and I really do enjoy what I'm learning in kinesiology, and I think it helps. Uh, some of the classes definitely help me gain a better understanding um, towards my body and how it works in swimming too. So I think it, it all works together, and I'm really enjoying just learning and learning in the pool and in classes.
2: Tell us a little bit about Ellen Walsh. Uh, she was a surprise uh, by obviously making the Olympic Games at the very last, uh, at the Irish second trials, uh, and she's now a teammate of yours at Tennessee. Seems to be posting some decent times as well.
1: Yeah, she's done outstanding. Um, she hasn't even been there. She's just on her first semester, and she's blown um, everyone out of the water. I think she's done so great, and it's so nice to see. And I mean, I've really enjoyed training with her. We don't um, get to swim all that often together because we do some different events, so we'll be in different groups. But uh, when we do, we really have a good time, and I think um, that's that's great too. That you know, I have a friend now from Ireland and you know we connect on a lot of the same things and we can train together then when we go away to competitions like Worlds and you know it's it's really nice to to have someone else and I guess see it work out for her too because she's really enjoying swimming over there and you know I I didn't doubt that she would because I love it too and Tennessee's a great team so I'm just glad that it's working for her.
2: Yeah you said the difference really that you and you just alluded to it there the difference that you like about Tennessee and maybe uh, away from uh, swimming in the high-performance centre in Ireland, is that they they have a lot of competition there as well. So there's a lot more races going on, isn't it, in the collegiate system rather than, I suppose, maybe plowing up and down the pool every day in training.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm I'm a very competitive person by nature in everything I do, um, and I think you know that that's great because I'm surrounded by so many people, male and female, in the gym, in the pool everywhere you know and we're always competing against each other to be the best at everything and it's healthy competition um which i love as well you know there's no hard feelings if you beat someone one day and they beat you the next and i think that's just a great environment where no one's afraid to be faster than someone else or shying down from competition we're always ready to race each other we live by um, a saying triple a bar none which is basically anytime any place anyone um and you're just going to compete and go for it and we we just love doing that and you know standing up and racing whenever no matter how you feel and i think that's really important because you're not always going to feel 100 percent um and you know being able to work through that and race is is just great
2: yeah the americans love their alphabet don't they um tell us about the uh world championships now it's obviously we're into the short course season or the 25 meter pool um how do you translate that how do you move from 50 to 25
1: it's you know it's it's definitely not super challenging i think you know the hardest thing is making sure that you're hitting your walls and yes there's not as many walls in long course but you still you know you're still working on those turns and i'm probably majority of the time training short course yards not meters but it's you know much of a much so we do work on a lot of turn work and that's really important in collegiate racing. So it's something that I definitely have focused on, even last year when it was, you know, long course priority. And um, so I'm, I'm really excited to just see how it goes. I haven't raced short course meters in a long time. So I think I'm just excited to uh, go out there and, and do my best and, you know, have fun. Um, the Olympics kind of reminded me of how much fun racing can be. Uh, and that's, that's what my plan is, to just go out there and really enjoy it. Nice. <laughs>
2: Uh, (laughs) are you tapered for this particular meet are you giving it all
1: um i will be tapered a little bit but um (gasps) i think it's kind of hard because we are in the collegiate season as well so we're kind of tapering for those meets too but i will be i will be resting and you know seeing what i can put out there and just yeah i guess i i don't really even know where to position myself at the moment because i don't really have anything to base it off and i honestly i think that's fun um just not worrying about the times and just going out there
2: yeah sure well tell us then what events are you swimming in in the world
1: i am swimming the 100 im 50 breaststroke 100 breaststroke and 200 breaststroke and then maybe a relay
2: yeah that's a busy schedule for you so what are your expectations then
1: Um, I, you know, I, I really would like to make it out of the heats in 100, and 200 breaststroke. I definitely feel I have the ability to do that. Um, and that would really be great. And, you know, I'd love to post some PBs, knock down some of my, my standing times, you know, that's definitely the, the target at the moment. And then, you know, if I make semis, of course, I'll sit down review races and then hopefully make finals and then just race. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm really excited to just see how it goes.
2: Yeah, the uh, European Shore Course Championships down the years have have yielded medals for Ireland, which has been great. And some of the lesser known knights, um, you know, on the international stage, like Barry Murphy, have uh, been able to snatch a medal here and there. Um, but this is a World Championship. So, um, but not all the top swimmers compete at Shore Course at the World championships. So, this may be an opportunity for for Irish swimmers to, well, A, progress out of semi finals, as you mentioned, into finals, and maybe, maybe just nick a net medal.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's all to play for. And any athlete that gets into the water has, you know, an equal chance if you can get a lane and, you know, just, it just depends on who's the most prepared on the day. And, you know, we have a really good team going out there and it's going to be, it's going to be great to just see everyone racing fast and see what they can do.
2: Yeah. So you're back in now to uh, work under the likes of Ben Hickson, uh, who's the national coach as well. What's your relationship with uh, the Irish high performance uh, setup? How, what's that like for you?
1: It's great. You know, they um, they let me kind of, because I'm international, obviously it's it's hard to get a lot of face time with them and being so far away. But, you know, they do, they understand that I, I'm i mature and I, I know my body and, you know, they listen to my thoughts and ideas and I, I really appreciate that. And, you know, they're really supportive with whatever I do need when I am here Um, and I think that that's just you know that's all you can ask for from a high performance centre and I really do appreciate that support and you know whether it be you know a couple of days in Dublin to train or when we do fly out that they allow me to do maybe home coach programs um, and you know do what I need to do uh, which is is just great.
2: So in terms then of the future after uh, the World Championships next week. Um, what do you see 2022 looking like for you?
1: Um, I it's going to be busy. That's honestly the the bottom line. But it's going to be really fun. We have a lot of racing going on. Uh, I'll be racing at SECs and NCAA's over in America, and that'll finish me up in March. And then I'll be swimming at the April trials in Ireland and Worlds and Europeans in the summer, which you know is is exciting and it's really great to be back to you know a lot of international competitions and being able to travel and compete like kind of like what we did maybe before COVID which is going to be a lot of fun Um, and I'm really excited I think it's going to be great it's going to involve a lot of planning but we have lots of time for that
2: Game
4: On on 2FM It's the look to Mona Mike Shari but Manchester City are set to play Leeds at the Etihad at 8 o'clock tonight and Peter Smith is there for
0: us and there's a huge respect that exists between Pep Guardiola and Marcela Bielsa, with Pep repeatedly referring to his opposite number tonight as the best coach on the planet. If City were to win this evening, perhaps Pep's claim to being one of the greatest managers ever will rise. Three points for City would be a 33rd win in a calendar year, equaling a record set by the great Bob Paisley of Liverpool in 1982. And City's next goal will be their 500th under Pep in the Premier League, achieved in the fastest ever of times. Selection-wise, City are expected to make several changes, with one enforced, João Cancelo, is serving a one-match ban. Leeds won here on their previous visit. They took four points from City last season. Marcelo Bielsa is still missing several key men with Phillips, Bamford and Cooper all sideline. His selection is likely to resemble the one that was narrowly beaten at Chelsea last weekend. And then the had stadium, it's Manchester City against Leeds United.
2: Thanks very much, Peter Smith. Norwich against Aston Villa, 7.45. Brentford, Manchester United called off. Uh, Ruby, you're off to see Santi.
0: I'm on the way, John.
2: Man. Enjoy. Uh, Marie is back tomorrow. I uh, hope you've enjoyed myself and Ruby Walsh here on Game On. And Tara Kumar is next. Bye. Two two two
0: f- Game On on Two FM with Green Farm healthy dinners made easy with Green Farm's high protein cooked chicken breast fillets range available in selected stores nationwide. Two.